Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to the Billboard Sharpie Podcast. Gary Trust, Billboard Senior Director of Charts. And hey guys, it's Trevor Anderson, a chart manager here at Billboard. This is where we look at why what's on the charts is on the charts. And we also look at who was walking across Times Square Sunday night. So did you watch Sunday night, Trevor? It was uh, Nick Walenda and his sister, Liana Walenda. They walked a quarter mile across Times Square, about uh, 25 stories up on a high wire. Uh, if you watch it, you saw, you saw the Billboard building here in Times Square in the background. Uh, you know, I was I was kind of flipping between that and the BET Awards. Um, you know, it probably the probably the awards got more of my attention, but obviously I saw most of the highlights, um, including when they had to so they walked opposite routes. Yeah, they were they walking had to pass t- towards yeah, each other. Yeah. And they had to pass each other, like in the middle. That was probably like the you know obviously the most stressful part of it. Yeah, they they, they were harnessed, so he had to because I was thinking, wow, they're going to get all tied up. So he had to remove the harness, and she sat down on the wire for a moment, and then he climbed over, and then she put the harness back on. And the toughest thing, I guess, was getting up. You get up from a wire when you're uh, 25 stories up from the ground. Yeah, I can only imagine what the insurance bill for a project like this is. Uh, so I, I don't like heights. This is, uh, this is something I would never do, but I think I'm inspired to try it now, but only in one place and for a very specific reason. Go on. I would want to do this in Times Square, just like they did, because what a great way to get away from the crowds of Times Square. You just walk above them. Oh. <laughs> I don't um, like the crowds in Times oh, Square. Oh, Gary, how, how, how long did it take you to set that? That's good. Thank you. You thought about that one for a while. Yeah. Okay. Can't smell the cigarette smoke up there, too? It's Best of everything. You just have to be walking 25 stories up in the air. That's very the, careful. That's the trick. That's the developers never thought about going up. All right, Gary, if you don't like crowds, I don't know if this is going to be the show for you because we got a pretty stacked top 10 to get through this week. We got to talk a little Nas X at the top of the chart, who also last Friday released his long awaited, much teased EP. So we'll talk, of course, Old Town Road, but also. Look to see what the future may hold for Lil Nas X after this song is somehow, somehow done. We'll also talk Taylor Swift. 
uh, and the new song, You Need to Calm Down. We're actually going to bring in uh, Billboard Pride staff writer Stephen Daw to unpack that song and its debut for us and some of the cultural context and discussions going on about that track. And last week we mentioned Drake when he got to the top 10, once again helping out Chris Brown on No Guidance. This week, Drake is back in the top 10, a new song, so we're going to talk some record-making history with that and look forward to uh, all things from our NBA Finals MVP, because that's essentially who he was. We love you, Kawhi, but you know Drake took the pop culture crown for sure. So we got all that coming up, and we're also going to hop over to the Billboard 200, talk about Madonna, who's number one this week with her Madam X album. And in honor of Madonna, we're going to do a little chart flashback, jump back to one of her 1980s number ones, and we're going to talk to the guy who actually co-wrote it, and we're going to learn a little bit about how his demo ended up in Madonna's hands, maybe a little threatening action from some lawyers, and luckily the story has a happy ending because he got his uh, rights and royalties and money, Madonna got a number one hit out of it, so everybody wins. It was a little uh, late night break-in that he admits to, but uh, Statue of Limitations, we think, is over after 30-something years, so safe to admit it. Yeah, pretty much like Watergate Part 2. Madonna Gate, something like that. Uh, so, yep, busy uh, Billboard Sharpie podcast coming up. Let's get into this week's top 10 on the Billboard Hot 100. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Number 10. Ain't never got you know it being modest. Popping shit, but only because you know you popping. Yeah, you got it, girl, you got it. Number nine. Huh? Packing the mail, it's gone. Uh, she like I smell cologne. Yeah. I just signed a deal, I'm on. Yeah, yeah. I go where I want. Good, good. Play if you want, let's do it. Huh? I'm a young CEO, sure. Yeah, yeah. Number eight. It's a moment when I show up, got I'm saying wow. Honey bands in my pocket, it's on me. Yeah, your grandma more probably know me. Get more bottles, these bottles are lonely. It's a moment when I show up, got I'm saying wow. Number seven. Got a little Max with me, he the wave. It's a big gap between us and the game. In the next life, I'm trying to stay paid. When I die, I put my money in the crib. Number six. I'm a sucker for all the subliminal things. No one knows about you, about you, about you, about you. And you're making the typical me break my typical rules. It is true. I'm a sucker for you. Yeah. Number five. Because I don't care when I'm with my baby. Number one. Yeah, I'm gonna take my horse to the old town road. I'm 
Gary was giving a shout out to the Times Square High Wire Act. I gave a mention of the BET Awards. And if you happen to tune in to that happening on the other coast in L.A., you saw the first award show performance of Lil Nas X and Billy Ray Cyrus doing Old Town Road. And that song is, once again, nice and safe at number one on the Billboard Hot 100. He's the charting version of a High Wire Act. I mean, top. yeah, essentially, yeah, yeah. Doesn't seem to be able to fall. Nobody, that's right. Nobody can knock him off balance. Not, not even close. So that's a dirty dozen. Twelve weeks at number one this week. Really, you know, the tail of the tape is is what it is. Uh, Stream still massive, pulling ninety one million. So now that it's down into eight digit territory, maybe, maybe soon somebody can catch it. But um, I mean, really, really. A huge lead once again. Starting to fall really across the board, though, in metrics. Streaming is down this week. Sales as well. Radio is number three on the radio songs chart, but starting to come down as well. Obviously, all eyes really on that 16-week mark. If it can hold on for four more weeks, tie the all-time record. I mean, it feels like it's a numbers game at this point. Old Town Road a little, you know, falling down, but still such a big lead over everything. And, of course, another variable that was introduced into the conversation last week is the EP that came out. Uh, the EP7, which is actually eight tracks because, hey, the Old Town Road remix is on it. Um, but that song, usually when an album comes out, that helps you know the singles that are on the Hot 100 really across the board get a little more juice into them. So we'll see next week. Um, I mean, really, Old Town Road almost can't get more juice than it has now, but we'll see how that EP affects that. Um, also, if you're, if you're sick of Old Town Road, but you're not sick of Lil Nas X, there's good news for you because his new track, Panini, is out. Um, we're doing really well on streaming so far in the in the first few days. It's been out number three on the Spotify trending chart today. Um, it's been number one in the past couple of days. So seems like um, he should have another Hot 100 hit next week. Yeah. Right, and Old Town Road in 16 weeks. Not the only record that somebody's coming for this week on the Billboard Hot 100. Drake down there at number seven debuts with his collaboration with Rick Ross, Money in the Grave. And that track gives Drake a whopping 35th top 10 on the Hot 100. If you're a fan of the Beatles, you may know that they have 34 top 10s on the Hot 100. When 35 is bigger than 34. So Drake passing the Beatles uh, for the second most top 10s in chart history. Only Madonna with 38 has more. You, you know, you'd think that with that next album coming, you know, sometime, you know, maybe this year, maybe next... Drake probably has three, three, four more top tens in him. You are somebody that I don't know. All right, so we're going to talk about the debut of the week this week. Uh, number two, once again, Taylor Swift, the song You Need to Calm Down. We saw her also get to number two a few weeks ago with the song Me. So two number twos for Taylor to kick off the lover era. Um, so specifically, let's dive into this week's number two, which is You Need to Calm Down. We're going to bring in Billboard staff writer Stephen Daw who uh, also works on the Pride Vertical to get his take on everything that's going on with this song. Um, I guess first first questions first. I think a lot of people, given Taylor's history, she was very apolitical for the longest time. We saw her with her first steps out with the Democratic uh, votes last year. Were you surprised that Taylor would come back with a song like this so quickly after kind of doing that 180? 
Yeah, for me, it was it was pretty surprising. Um, you know, Taylor has, as you said, been somebody who has very much kept her political cards close to her chest, especially coming up in the country music scene. She was very much someone who appeared to want to appeal to all sides and all people. Um, and then that obviously changed last year. And I had a feeling that Taylor would probably make some subtle political statement, but I certainly was not expecting her to have such an open embrace of queer people with uh, You Need to Calm Down. So I thought that was a welcome surprise. So you wrote a story for Billboard.com saying she should be fully welcomed for doing this. Whereas uh, it feels like if you go online, you read comment sections, it's kind of it seems I don't know if it's a split or at least there are certainly different viewpoints that uh, the other angle kind of being uh, who is she to make a, a gay anthem? Right. Um and yeah, it's it's certainly there's a debate going on online, specifically on gay Twitter at the moment. They are blowing up. Um, for me, looking at this whole thing, I think that criticisms of Taylor Swift are valid. And I think that people saying like, you know, where has she been this whole time? Like, where is all of this coming from? Why weren't you speaking up sooner? I think that that is a completely fair thing to say. But for me, there are very there are not that many artists at the moment who are not only singing about LGBTQ-related issues, but actually donating money to important causes, actually using a massive music video featuring every conceivable queer person from the 21st century to promote the Equality Act, which is something that so few artists have actually spoken up about. So to see that kind of support from her, to me, kind of trumps whatever other qualms you may have with it because yes maybe she's not doing it in the best way maybe she's not doing it in the most you know queer friendly way but at least she's doing something and at least she's putting her money where her mouth is so when you have those critiques you're saying it maybe she's not doing it in the best way or the most queer friendly way what are some ways that you might if she's out there listening or if you have you know (laughs) you need to calm down 2.0 what kind of advice or tips would you maybe give that would help it along further I mean, listen, my big thing with the song is like Taylor really does not seem to understand what the concept of shade is. And I feel like someone (laughs) needs to educate her. It's like shade is not someone holding up a sign saying that like gay people are going to hell. Shade is like something friendly yet like cutting that you would say to a friend. Shade is something not necessarily malicious, but something kind of funny yet true that you would say to somebody and this idea of like shade never made anybody less gay it's like that's a fun line and i'm glad that she used it it is kind of misrepresenting the situation um i would also tell her like listen it's great what you're doing maybe if you're going to release a song that's going to be marketed as a pride anthem make the whole song about that not you know because that is the main criticism going on right now is a lot of people are saying oh, well, you know, it's not the whole song. It's only the second verse and she has that one line. And it's like, yeah, she could have she done the whole song and that would have been really nice. But again, like when you, when you get down to it, the fact that she's doing as much as she's doing for someone at her level, to me, is worth celebrating. Yeah, she said before that uh, part of the reason she wasn't uh, outwardly political before is uh, she didn't want to make those statements until she felt fully adult enough and fully informed enough. So uh, in, on one level, it's easy to say, yeah, you've never spoken up before. That's another to think, OK, maybe everyone matures in their own way. And now uh, now she feels comfortable doing that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Lord knows, you know, when I was 
her age when she started her career, I was in absolutely no position to be talking about politics. Um, and the fact that there was an expectation of her at that age to be openly political and politically active when she was just someone who was trying to make it in the music industry, I think is a little bit inherently unfair. Um, but then that gets into the whole debate of, you know, using your platform and how you use your platform. And I think that, listen, I'm glad that the, this debate around her song is happening because this is going to allow more pop stars of the future and more artists of the future understand what it actually means to be a queer ally and what it means to stand up for something and to support the queer community. And the fact that, yeah, there is going to be backlash and some people are not going to be happy with it. But it's better that you try and see how it goes than just do nothing out of fear. And that is kind of my bottom line with this debate about Taylor is, you know, we can criticize it as much as we want. But the fact of the matter is we should just be glad that she tried because the alternative is she doesn't say anything. And there are so many people in her fan base who do not get that message. And I think that this whole shaming and saying, like, she shouldn't be talking about this, it's like, well, yeah, but then none of these people who like really need to hear this message aren't going to get it. You know, interesting, I guess, the, the concept of backlash, because I, I'm wondering, obviously, this is Taylor's most, you want to call it political song that she's put out. And I'm curious for somebody who has been as she's kind of navigated that that unique pinnacle where she's a little bit of everything to everybody, kind of America's, you know, all appeal pop star is there and. I fully understand that some people will say this this backlash doesn't matter, but is there any sort of backlash that you've seen from people who who you know don't want her to talk about this? Like they, they can't believe Taylor Swift would be a fan of LGBTQ people or or support this. You know why does she have to why 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 does she have to like go into this lane? Right? Yeah, the whole oh they're shoving it in my face yeah. type thing. Um, yeah, I mean I've seen a few of those comments. They have been far, like, outweighed by people either thanking her for doing the song or people saying, like, hey, I'm glad you did the song, but, like, I would have preferred that you do it the right way. And part of that is because, you know, there have there have been, like, people online saying, oh, I'm never going to listen to Taylor Swift again. But right. I'm glad to see that she's not really giving into that anymore and not really saying, like, well, there goes that part of the fan base because – I think it's also important to note that, like, she probably recognizes at this point that it's like maybe earlier in her career it was just like, yeah, I need I need as much support as I can get and I need as many people to follow me as I can. But, like, she is unarguably one of the most ubiquitous pop stars in 2019. Like, no one can challenge that. And so the idea of her being like, oh, well, I need to keep as many people close to me as possible, that's kind of out the window at this point. Like, she is unbelievably popular even if people like don't love her music she is still undeniably one of the biggest stars of the day so to see her going like okay yeah now that i have this gigantic platform and now that i am in a place where i am not like in need of more fans like yeah i can openly speak my mind and not really get that scared when people say i'm never going to listen to taylor swift again and i would also posit those people are going to listen to taylor swift again like let's be real <laughs> <laughs> is there any sense from i don't know if any reporting that anyone's done or anyone you talk to is this something that taylor swift has grown into or is this something that she kind of always do you think had this this opinion but just wasn't afraid to share it or whatnot i'm thinking of like Barack Obama, for example, you know, and when he first, um, you know, was was 
asked about the same-sex marriage debate, he was pretty much went along the lines of, well, I'm, you know, my Christian beliefs essentially have me as a man and a woman. And over time, I guess evolve was the word that most people used. He evolved into where he is today. So do you have any sense if this is something that is that is really, you know, new Taylor or old Taylor or, you know, when when did this come about? If you have any I mean, no indication. I mean, yeah. So, like, based on what I understand, like, I recently watched a video um, that her good friend and um, one of the people in her video, Todrick Hall, spoke about, you know, he's a good friend of hers. And he has said, like, there was a long time where, like, I didn't really know where she stood. And then one day we had a conversation and she was very supportive and very open. So I think that... I'm sure that she was always supportive, but I think that this is definitely, like, especially in her music, the first time that she has really indicated that support. Um, And I think that, you know, that is absolutely because of her history of not wanting to upset people. Um, But, yeah, if you go back in her music, especially to her country music days, um, this kind of, you know, I I can't look back at that and go, like, ooh, there was, like, queer signaling back then. Because there really there really wasn't, and this was a very sudden turn, especially in her music. Now, obviously, you know, December of last year was kind of the first time that she spoke up publicly about politics um, when she supported um, the candidate who was running against Marsha Blackburn in Tennessee. And one of the reasons that she voiced for that was uh, she said, you know, I want to support LGBTQ people. I support LGBTQ rights. And then since then, she's been kind of slowly donating money towards funds against the Equality Act, um, shouting out GLAAD. And then at the beginning of this month did seem to be the first time that she really openly started talking to and about her LGBTQ fans. This song's been compared to uh, You Need to Calm Down, uh, Born This Way. By Lady Gaga. Yes. Do you uh, personally make any comparisons as one? I mean, that's pretty much an iconic song for the 2010s. Mm-hmm. We've had a, about a decade at this point to uh, to be with the song. So uh, how do you look at these two songs next to each other? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there is a very easy comparison there in that this is, again, two enormous pop stars very, very openly um, talking to and about their LGBTQ fans. I think that the difference between these two songs really has to do with the history of the artists, because when Lady Gaga released Born This Way in, I believe it was 2011, she had pretty much spent her entire career signaling or outwardly saying up to that point that she was a strong supporter of the LGBTQ community, that she was a member of the LGBTQ community. And so when Born This Way came out, it didn't come as like a shock to people that like, oh, my goodness, Lady Gaga's talking about her gay fans. It was like, well, yeah, of course she's talking about her gay fans. I think the more shocking thing in there was the fact that she was not just speaking to gay fans, but lesbian fans, transgender fans. Um, you know, she she was it was a massive call out. And that is why that song has become such a massive um, LGBTQ anthem in these years is because of seeing a pop star who spoke through music and through actions on how to be a queer ally. And I think that the difference between that and Taylor Swift's song is, as we've said, obviously Taylor Swift does not have the same history with her queer fans. And again, when Born This Way came out, fans weren't really going like, ooh, well, is Gaga just doing this to like you know, cash in. And it was like, no, it's it's Lady Gaga. Whereas, you know, Taylor is going to have this hump that she's going to have to get over for a while of, 
you know, how do people perceive the song and is it okay for me to do this song, even if what she's ultimately doing with the song is inherently good. Uh, I want to talk about the video. We've kind of mentioned and danced around it a little bit. And you mentioned that, you know, you thought the song, maybe there's some things that could have been done better. It seems like the video for a lot of people really brought it to another level. And it seems I would venture that that probably was done uh, more, quote unquote, right, I think, than most people would say. Absolutely. I mean, obviously, just have even Todrick Hall just co-directing it. Not even, you know, it's not even just somebody trying to, you know, design their own vision of what they think it should be like. What was it like for you when you saw the video? And I mean, particularly the, you know, that huge cast of characters that I means everybody was in it. Yeah. I mean, I loved the video. I mean, there there were some people who were, you know, <laughs> there there has been sp- so much speculation about that video online. But like at the end of the day, I thought it was so cool. I was it was literally like whiplash watching that video. Like every other second, it was like, oh, there's Adam Lambert. Oh, there's Ellen DeGeneres. Oh, there's like seven queens from RuPaul's Drag Race. Oh, there's RuPaul. Like it was wild. And that was such a cool way for her not only to continue this message of support, but then to also actually support artists who, again, otherwise might not get noticed by her fans. Like, you know, Haley Kiyoko was in that video who, like, is we think of as someone who is a pretty big pop star at the moment. But like, again, if you are a fan of Taylor Swift's and like she is the person that you follow and you see her co-signing on Haley Kiyoko, that's going to be like a big thing for Haley and artists like her who were in the video. So and getting to see like the queer. I mean, I could literally spend the rest of this podcast naming everybody in that video because it is wild how many people she got in there. <laughs> let's take let's take 30 seconds. Let's see. If you can. can you go? Can you go through oh God. in 30 seconds? Name as many people as you can. Let's. Okay. Uh, all right. You ready? Okay. All right, let's go. Haley Kiyoko, the Fab Five from Queer Eye, Jesse Tyler Ferguson, um, Ellen DeGeneres, Adam Lambert, um, RuPaul, Trinity the Tuck Taylor, Todrick Hall, um, J. Jolie, um, um, Katy Perry, obviously, Adore Delano. Oh, God. This is hard. <laughs> um, there's too many people Five in this seconds. video. Sierra's in it. Um Oh God! There's so many more drag race. Delta work. Ooh, okay, okay, okay. That one came through at thirty oh one. There are 13? so many people in that video. Oh God! <laughs> we got to talk about the Katy Perry, the big uh, makeup. Uh, at the oh end. God! Yeah, emotional yeah. moment. I yeah, it was it was very funny. I actually really liked that moment, especially the fact that they were dressed as a cheeseburger and French fries. I thought that was pretty funny. And there have obviously been people online saying like, "Oh, well, why would you include her in this video that's supposed to be about queer people?" and my thing about that is I actually thought that that was kind of fun because it was very campy and it was very like all of these very famous queer celebrities in the background fighting one another while she and Katy Perry are like hugging in the front. And I was like, that is like the definition of camp. That is extremely like funny, second of all. And it's also just like. I don't know. It was something that I felt like I needed to see. Like, I needed to see Taylor Swift and Katy Perry, like, finally just putting an end to this. Yeah, yeah, I thought Katy Perry's cameo was pretty fun. The the whole song overall is also about just everyone calm down. Everyone just goes uh, so crazy about everything online with all the online haters. Exactly. It's almost like the two of them are kind of saying that to themselves that, yeah, I guess we both need to calm down over this feud that's just gotten completely out of hand for so long. Absolutely. And I also think that we're living in a world where – when that feud stops, suddenly 
Taylor puts out a song that her fans like a lot more than they liked Reputation, and Katy Perry puts out a song that is objectively a bop, never really over. <laughs> I have played that song. I literally like checked my Spotify over 200 times since it came out. I love that song. It's stunning. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So uh, where does Taylor go from here? Um, so, I mean, obviously, we've got the album coming. Um, but I, I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking with a song like this, not only with what might be coming on the album, but also it feels like the tour could could probably like, I mean... Imagine seeing the song performed on tour and hopefully, I mean, maybe it'll be one of those things kind of like 1989 where a lot of guest stars pop up in, in several yeah. cities. But it feels like this gives her, I don't know, more, um, just more avenues to work with on a live setting for sure. Absolutely. I would love to see this song. Imagine if she tried, I mean, I'm just thinking like if she were to per- perform this song in L.A. where like a bunch of the people who were in this video live, I wonder how many people she could fit on that stage. That would be really cool. Um but yeah, in terms of where she goes from here, I mean, frankly, I don't know. Like, I can see her doing this very saccharine, you know, sugar sweet pop thing, which is very cool. I'm not sure, you know, how many of her other songs are going to be, you know, themed towards and around the LGBTQ community. I mean, there have been some people speculating that a lot of the album will because it has this rainbow cover art. I'm not convinced because I think that that rainbow cover art is more her like her transitioning from the very dark, very brooding reputation era to this very bright and colorful lover era. But I mean, I'm excited to see where she goes from here. I think that, you know, at this point, the opportunities seem pretty endless. And I don't know. I, I think that Lover has the potential to be a really good album if everything goes right for her. And just you know, to remind people, this is not just a musical aim for Taylor Swift, but it seems like there's a real political, you know, end game as well. Yes. <laughs> end game. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, is that you, we mentioned the Equality Act a couple of times. And just for people who don't know, you know, what that legislation uh, would do, can you explain just what, what she's really going for? Because if you've seen on her social media or Instagram, I mean, she's really doubled down on trying to get the attention of legislators with this specific bill. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, So what she's done is she started a petition um, for people who support the Equality Act. And what the Equality Act is, um, is it is a piece of legislation being um, considered in Congress. It has passed the House. Um, It is still waiting for a Senate vote. And it is um, a bill that would essentially um, 
say that discrimination against um, people on the basis of sex, gender, or sexual orientation um, is not uh, permitted, and that would allow people to not face discrimination on a day-to-day basis in areas of housing, education, um, you know, when they go out shopping. Like, there, there's so many different avenues that this could help. Um, and, you know, so, yeah, so it is it is past the House. Um, it is still being considered in the Senate. Um, you know, there's Cory Booker signed her petition, and he is, you know, during his campaign for president, he's been really pushing hard um, for the Equality Act. I believe he's one of the co-sponsors of the Equality Act. Um, so, yeah, people should definitely get out there, um, start supporting the Equality Act. It is literally the most basic thing that um, queer people are asking for. Yeah, like how uh, there's different ways people are looking at this, some people being skeptical. I like, Stephen, how you're you're choosing the positive side, that uh, attention uh, that's in support. That's a good thing ultimately. Absolutely. There's too much dark stuff in this world for me to, you know, really get angry at a pop star for trying to do a nice thing. Like, <laughs> it's fine, guys. Let's let's all move on. All right. So Madonna, number one, again, on the Billboard 200 with Madame X. So we thought we'd talk to one of Madonna's co-writers of one of her biggest classics, 1987. Number one, it became her fifth number one of 12 total on the Hot 100. Open Your Heart from the True Blue album back in 1986. So we've all heard the song so many times over the years. just become a total part of pop culture. Uh, might hear it a little bit differently after you find out uh, the backstory. Uh, didn't make the typical way to an artist that a song usually does. Uh, really just a, a kind of crazy backstory. So uh, Peter Rafelson is uh, the co-writer of Open Your Heart. We spoke to Peter, who just uh, really, uh, as we said before, uh, not worried about what he might have done in the past. He's he's admitting uh, of how this song got from his own uh, head when he started writing the song into a recording studio, eventually onto the True Blue album, and uh, how he feels about the song's legacy now, uh, 32 years after it went to number one. So... Uh, He's written some other hits as well. We're going to ask him about that. But uh, yeah, taking us out for the rest of the Billboard Sharpie podcast here uh, in honor of Madonna being back at number one on the Billboard 200. Uh, really happy to have Peter Rafelson on the podcast with the backstory of Open Your Heart. Peter Rafelson, welcome to the Billboard Sharpie Podcast. Thank you so much. So let's get into the whole history uh, as the co-writer of Open Your Heart, Madonna. You wanted to pitch it to Cindy Lauper. You were a fan of hers. And then it's a really winding story of how it got to Madonna, and from what I can tell, uh, without your knowledge. So uh, where does the story uh, even begin? Um, back in the day, this is in the 80s, I was literally living my father's garage and I didn't have much going on in the music industry, although I'd begun to do some writing and, and production in studios. And I'd written a song on one of the earliest um, programmable synthesizers with Cindy Lauper in mind called open your heart. And back then there was no way to demo material. You, there was no home studios. There was no computers. So the, best one could do is to sequence and maybe record it live to a cassette. So 
I'm in the studio working on this song, and I hear this horrible car crash outside my door. And I open the door, and out steps a young man. And, you know, I race to see if he's okay. And he explains to me that he is selling typewriters. And I said, um, well, okay, is there something I can do to help you? He goes, um... Well, yeah, um, what are you working on? And I said, well, I'm working on this song for Cindy Lauper. And he said, well, gosh, I know how to get Cindy Lauper. You know, make me a writer and on the song, and, 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 um, and we'll do this. And I said, if you can get, you know, this to Cindy, then by all means, I'll make you a writer on the song. Well, he couldn't get to Cindy, but what he did do was get me into Robbie Weaver, son of Dennis Weaver's recording studio, which is one of the first studios that wasn't owned by a major label. Yeah. And I spent the next year sneaking in with him at night. Every month or two, we'd jump in until I finished the demo. And when I was leaving after an all-nighter, I came through the lobby of the studio and I saw that there was a reel-to-reel tape. And I said, what's that? And they said, that's going over to Warner's. There's a new artist and she's going to, you know, get demos from our songwriters. And I said, well, guys, if you don't put this song on, I I don't know what to say. I'll never speak to you again. And they said, no way, guys. This is our writer's tape, not yours. So I left and I was all discouraged. And That night, I put on a ski mask, and I broke back into the studio with my Walkman cassette player, and I transferred a copy of my new demo to this reel-to-reel, and I didn't write anything on the box. I just left it as it was, but the fifth song, unmarked, was Open Your Heart. (laughs) So now, the, the next day or two goes by, I hear nothing. A week goes by, and these writers whose tape it was start bragging we've got a madonna cut and they started rubbing it in my face and i was discouraged and i was really back to zero at that point i had nothing uh and i went back and i started on the grind again a month goes by my friend comes by with a cassette it was a bootleg tape of an alex acuna overdub percussion on a new madonna song And before I could stop him, I was like, I don't want to hear this as a sore subject. He pushes play, and it's my song. And I'm realizing, oh, my God, now what do I do? I might as well be a felon. I broke in, criminal broke into a studio. (laughs) They've recorded my song. Nobody, nobody, not a single soul on the planet knows except me. There was nothing written on the box, so of course they told the original writers it was their song. Right. Now I'm in a real predicament. I'm seeing Madonna and Sean Penn and Jack Nicholson, and everybody's at the club every night, and Helena's was the spot. Warner's is there. I don't say a word until I hear that the song has now been included on her next album called True Blue and has shipped 600,000 pieces of vinyl. <laughs> to go to label, but nobody knows my song is that song. So I called the lawyers, and Madonna's lawyer, and I said, this may come as a shock to you. Nonetheless, uh, they said, there's no way that's your song. Um, I said, well, if it isn't my song, then 
how come this is me singing the demo? And I played my voice on that same cassette over the phone, and his response was, hang on, I'll call you back. So the phone rings, it's them again, and they say, just let's suppose this might be your song. There's no way, you know, uh, you're going to get away with this. You're either fraud or you're giving up all your rights to Madonna right now or this will never see the light of day. Well, they didn't know that I knew it was already shipped in 600,000 pieces of vinyl. I called their bluff. I said, fine, just take it off the album. And their jaws dropped. And they were speechless. And I said, yeah, that's right. I'm not giving up all my rights to a song I wrote by myself. And then maybe there was a second writer who, who did, by the way, add some lyrics. Gardner is a good writer. I don't want to take any glory away from him. Yeah, Gardner Cole. And it turns out that Madonna wrote eight lines as well, which, by the way, made it a better song. And she did a great job. And I was happy to give up a third of the song. And the rest is history, guys. It was uh, it was the biggest moment in my career, and it was all about that gangster decision. Can I ask what, what lines Madonna did write specifically, if you remember? Do I remember what lines? Yeah, I do. Um, can't tell you all of them, but I see you on the street and I walk on by. All I want to do is, gosh, I'd have to go line by line, but there, there's a couple in the verse and one in the chorus. I'll hold the lock in you, you hold the key. I might have said you turn the key or something originally. You know, they weren't they weren't huge changes, but they were good ones. And I was, of course, I was more than happy to share to share the credit. It was, you know, the biggest uh, song I've certainly ever written. And 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 being that it's sold over thirty million copies, I have nothing but but respect and gratitude towards her. And um, I, I, you know, I was able to hold on to all my rights for the publishing, and that, of course, was worth a lot, and it changed my, my career and my whole trajectory. I suppose it's one thing, you know, obviously when you have a, a song on somebody's album, but then when it becomes a single, and you hear that, you know, they, they believe enough in this song to make it the new radio single, you know, when did you when did you first hear that it was going to be picked as a single, and, and what was that oh, moment gosh. like when you well, knew? This is another story. I hope you don't mind my long winded stories, but I think they're good. <laughs> uh, I, I I'm I'm at that same club, and I know that the song is coming out on the album. And um, Sean Penn and Madonna were engaged, and um, she had sat on somebody's lap over at the Warner's table and that really pissed Sean off. And I won't say who it was, but it was a friend I know who's a famous producer, writer. And Sean came over and um, cold cocked this poor guy and he, he went un- fell unconscious under the table. I I had my back to the situation, so I couldn't see what actually had happened. But when I turned around, I saw the, the Warner's table scrambling to keep their anonymity. And the entire club and restaurant um, stood up with their jaws just wide open. And I grabbed Sean, the, the owner. Helena's a friend. Madonna's on a table screaming, somebody do something. I can't control them. And uh, I wrestled Sean out, diffused the situation. But the next day, um, you know, 
Actually, I left out a little detail. Sean tried to pick up a metal chair and crack this guy's skull wide open while he was unconscious. So next day, I um, I stopped that, and I, I, I get a call, and it's Nunzio from, from, from Chicago, where this producer's from, and he's like, uh, so I hear you're a material witness to an attempted murder um, case, and uh, for your own future, you better do the right thing. You better say the right thing. And, and I'm thinking, this guy's threatening my life. And and as I'm I'm on the phone with him, I get a call from Mo Austin. Peta, it's Mo Austin from Warner Brothers. Um, I understand you're a material witness to one of our artists' clients, and uh, uh, for your own future, you better say the right thing. So I got the Jewish mafia and the Italian mafia both threatening my life about a case, and and Mo tells me, listen, you you you, you know. Um, it's about your future and your career because uh, I think the next single on the album is going to be Open Your Heart. <laughs> so now I'm thinking, oh my God, do I risk my life for this single? Uh, they, they subpoena me, I give the testimony, and because didn't actually see the assault with my own two eyes. I could only say, hey, I turned around and the guy was unconscious under the table. I didn't see anything. And then Nunzio calls back, you done good, you done good. And Mo Austin calls back and he's like, Peter, you done good. You're going to be a big star. That's a great uh, song and we're going to make it a single. I could go on, but I'll, I, I, I've done too much talking as it is. <laughs> so how were you even at that club, uh, Peter? Were you at that point as uh, accepted as one of the writers that you're now uh, in Madonna's camp on, on some level? No. So it's a great story, too. Ma- Helena's, Helena Kellyanotis is a Greek belly dancer and actress who got her start working with my father, Bob Rafelson, and Jack Nicholson in the Monkees movie called Head, which they both wrote together on an acid trip. And she uh, grew up to be not only um, the star of Rollerball with Raquel Welch and the Thunder Thunderbirds or whatever it was called, great movie. She, I think she won an award for it. But she she moved in with Jack and became a sort of madame of the night and handled all of his his let's just call it residential business. And um, she eventually uh, was loaned enough money from my father, Jack, and Bert Schneider, their partners, to start a nightclub, and it became the hottest club in the world. It was, I mean. I would be, you know, in the DJ booth, and it'd be Prince and and George Michael uh, spinning records, and everybody from Nicholson to to you know Dylan having dinner there, and Madonna and Mo and everybody from Warner. It was the scene of all scenes in the eighties. So you've gotten to know Madonna at this point. So she knows the story of how you broke in and how this song came to be. Have you guys laughed about the history of Open Your Heart? No, in fact, um, I've never told her that story directly. And yes, I have gotten to know Madonna, but there's more stories if you want to hear how. The first time I actually met her, okay, so back up a minute. So now the song is a single, and it's it's on its way um, to being a hit, and and and. David Naylor, uh, who's a famous video producer, is eating dinner at Hugo's, and he's with a famous model who I will 
let remain nameless because it's a little embarrassing. She was drunk and being very boisterous. And I went up to the table and I, I literally said, um, guys, you know, I don't want to be rude, but you're, you're disrupting this whole restaurant. You got it. You got to stop. And, um, David was a tough guy and he looked at me and he said, who the hell are you? And I pulled up a chair and sat down and I said, I'm Peter Rafelson. You know, I'm a songwriter. Um, and I've got, uh, you know, a big hit right now on the radio, Open Your Heart. He goes, Open Your Heart by Madonna? I, my company has just been asked to produce the video for that song. I said, are you kidding me? So the the Frenchman who was sitting directly behind me overhears this, and he's like, Peter, thank you so much. They were making too much noise. I, 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 I didn't want to say anything. And I said, well, who are you? And he goes, my name is Jean Mondino. And he's one of the greatest French commercial directors and video directors. And I introduced Jean Mondino to David Naylor right there. He got the job to direct Open Your Heart, the video, which is one of the best videos of all time. Speaking of MTV, it's the first video to go to number one and then be banned because of its sexual content. And then to be re-allowed to be on television. So I go to the shoot. Actually, no, I didn't. I was working on the new monkeys, the new monkey show. It was a horrible reboot of the monkeys with Lenny Walker and a bunch of people. Warners was handling the music and I was producing the record. We're, we're in rehearsal at SIR and I hear that next door they're shooting this Madonna video. So I go through because I'm already in the building and I sneak in the back and I'm just kind of like checking out what's going on and they're breaking for lunch and I can see Madonna right up there in front of the cameras and she tells everybody, everybody out, this is a massive warehouse, guys. She's by herself now eating her peach for lunch. And I walk up to her and she's like, how did you get in here? Like, I'm working next door, but I wanted to introduce myself. I'm Peter Rafelson, and I wrote Open Your Heart. And her eyes lit up, and there was just this magical moment where the rest of the nonsense faded away, and that was how we first connected. Then I saw her face. Now I'm a believer. You mentioned uh, your father, Bob. I guess that these stories might seem kind of crazy to someone, but you grew up in the industry. So your, your father, he, he formed the Monkees. He sure did. He also produced Easy Rider. He also did uh, a ton of, of seminal films. And most significantly, he and Bert Schneider created a company called BBS, which forged and pioneered the independent film revolution of the 70s. I wanted to ask you, you wrote another top 10 hit, great song in 1988, one of my favorites, Jane Needlin's Rush Hour. I'm thrilled that you know that song. That's that's one of my favorites. And um, 
that was a fun story too. So I had written that song, but I knew that Jane wanted to to be a writer, and and she was you know breaking out as a solo artist. So I invited her up. It was really very close to that time in the same little studio in the garage, and. I kind of pretended like I'd come up with the idea right on the spot because I I had already known that it was a good good song. So I wanted I wanted her to feel like I was writing it with her, and and she of course is a great writer. I mean anything she's done is is probably the best of the Go Go's material. Um, but we did write the song together, and. Um, and it was so much fun, and I wound up with four songs on her album, and that was really a special relationship. I I, I still am very close to Janie, and I just adore her, and uh, so that was that was quite a great experience. And you know how they used to do the traffic hour on a lot of the radio stations. Every hour they'd announce the traffic in the morning. So right. the intro and outro was "You got me in the rush hour." <laughs> send me um i remember writing that with jane and thinking that is such a hook it, it reminds me of a motown moment and uh i think that's my favorite line in the in the song yeah it was kind of a thought that sam cook you send me i always kind of wondered if there was some sort of an ode well that, that was kind of the inspiration but the but the whole vibe was that you know those Motown hooks, just three or four of them in, in, in one chorus. I just want to add one thing about the yeah. Madonna stuff, because first of all, if, if, if anybody in her camp hears this interview, um, I think it's, it's something that people don't hear enough firsthand about somebody who's, who's been called everything under the sun and, the one thing I've taken away from growing up in the real epicenter of this industry is that people can call you difficult or impossible or, you know, whatever, uh, arrogant. But the truth is that's a lot of times and it gets mistaken for what is really a consummate professionalism, which she has displayed and proven with her amazing unquestionable success. She's, she's, she's inexhaustible and she works harder than anybody I've, I've ever met. And, 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 um, what an honor to have been part of that trajectory and to see that she has done what no one else has done, which is to continue reinventing herself, um, to this day. And now she's coming out with this Madame X tour and I hope I get to see it. Yeah. And and for you, what a great testament to uh, yeah 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 you admit uh, breaking in and, and and all this that happened, but what a testament to you really believed in your art and you believed in the song that you were willing to put on that ski mask and uh, really make sure that you got credit for what what you really believed was a great song and obviously the whole world uh, has agreed since. You know, there's there everybody knows that you don't want to let a chance be for naught, and 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 this is a once in a lifetime chance and. What's hard to understand is that back then, the only way to get access to your music or to let others hear it was with physical materials, right? You couldn't just send an MP3 or an email. And um, 
you physically had to get a copy to somebody for their own ears to play it and hear it. So I I had nothing to lose, guys. I was struggling. I was living in a frickin' garage. I literally went from, from living in that garage to purchasing my first home for cash. And um, it was it was one of those moments where, you know, I, I just couldn't. It, it, it couldn't say no. It was too, there was too much to gain and nothing to lose. And, and I took my shot and, and it changed, changed the course of history. And when I say the course of history, I don't just mean my own history. And I don't even mean just music history on the 2014 Grammys, Queen Latifah and Macklemore are up on stage and as she introduces 30 same-sex couples, Madonna comes out and blesses the wedding that she performs live in front of 180 countries to the song Open Your Heart. And it's chilling to think that for the first time in the human civilization, the history of the world, that my song is being played and performed by Madonna while 30 same-sex couple marriages are being performed live on, on television. And that, that took it to a, a level that I, I can't even, I could never imagine anything being greater than that moment. That was world history. We're gathered together here to celebrate love and harmony in every key and color. As I look out tonight on this audience, I'm delighted to see the faces of 33 couples who have chosen this very moment to celebrate their vows with us here in Los Angeles and with everyone watching around the world as witnesses. It is my distinct honor to now ask all of our participants to exchange rings, to signal their commitment to one another and a life shared together with the music of love. Thanks, Cindy, for the inspiration, but it, I mean, it certainly sounds like it ended up in the right hands. I mean, especially what you said about how the song with the Grammys when we saw just a few years ago, I think some people might, you know, think of just 80s pop songs as just sort of, you know, fun and just, you know, sort of lighthearted. But, I mean, to take a song like that and that same song, same lyrics can be used for a moment like that, that just shows the timeless appeal of what is a truly good song. Yeah, it's it's really true. You're you're 100 percent right to think that that something that you write about a love song. And I actually had a girl in mind that 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 I had a crush on, but that I couldn't approach. And that was that was the initial verse lyric. And um, but the key to I think writing a great song is keeping it personal yet universal. And that's a real opposites if you think about it how to write something from a personal perspective but in a way that anybody can can pick it up and sing it and i have to tell you one of the most 
touching moments in my life was that I'd been a fan of of a of a, a Palestinian singer named Ofra Haza. Beautiful voice. And it wasn't until I'd heard that she had passed away and I started researching and I found that she had recorded Open Your Heart. And it made me cry to hear her voice because to have a connection with somebody and then after the fact realize that you had been a part of that person's life without knowing it, that's the beauty of music, guys. That's the spirituality of this world we're in. To be able to connect to other people in any way is a blessing, but, but to have millions and millions of people, I mean, there's, you know, there's not a lot of people I meet that don't say, oh my God, that was my favorite song growing up, or you changed my life, or that, that you, uh, you know, it, it, it feels like you're friends with the whole universe, and, and that's, that's something I just cannot be more grateful of and, and for, and yeah, that's 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 the best part of this this business. I'll have to work much harder than this for something I want. Don't try to resist me. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.